Hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Drama Llama, where we look beyond the galleries and dish on the art world's gossip, rivalries, and eccentricities. My name is Vartika. I'm Sianja. And I'm Anchi. And today, we're going to look beyond... The Codex Seraphinius. And before I start, I just want to say that y'all don't even know Bartika was being so sassy and she turned out that charm real quick as soon as she had to do the intro. Okay, well, maybe I am. I mean, my uh, Hogwarts house is Slytherin, so I guess I am a snake. <laughs> slither, slither. Also, I am studying business now, so. You disgust me. What a snake. Okay, Manchi. over. Manchi, you're over. the one working on Wall Street, so. Uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> I was going to say, you're really, like, giving her triangular location. <laughs> yeah, why are you uh, outing, like, that's my ultra ego. <laughs> All right. <laughs> my bad. I'm sorry. Well, if we're outing, actually, I can't say it because there's, like, yeah, if I say my job, you will probably very easily be able to find me. So I can't say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to keep on the deal. This is our alter ego. And yeah. I'm excited to hear about the Codex Seraphinus. Really? Because when you saw the images, you weren't that excited. <laughs> Listen, they're creepy, but I would love to hear how they came about. Okay, okay. Anyways, for this week, I want to talk about a book that I've known about since late middle school or early high school. The way I came across uh, knowing of its existence was because I was randomly suggested a top 10 list video of either the most mysterious or the most strange books ever. You know, this was back when YouTube's algorithm wasn't so sophisticated and you could go into like these rabbit holes. I miss those days. But anyway, continuing, moving forward. Uh, I think that's how a lot of people around our age are introduced to this book. Uh, And from the research I did for this book, the way people were exposed to it uh, before, like the internet, was by someone, usually a professor, brought it to class to show everyone. So it was very much like a word of mouth thing. Interesting. So without further ado, I'm going to be talking about the infamous encyclopedia of an imaginary world, the Codex Seraphinius. You'll see later, but yes, the last half of the book title is a play on the artist's last name. So before I get into the details of the context of the book, like what's actually in it, I want to make it clear that even though it's an encyclopedia, it is very much considered an art book, which you'll see why in a bit. So despite this book's medieval-esque looking illustrations, it was actually first published in 1981. In 1983, as an American edition, in 1993, as a single volume edition, and most recently, 2013. Um, it was, in, and it's about like 360 to 400 pages, depending on the edition you get. Also, some sources say that there was a re, like reprint published in 2006 and 2018, but for the most part, 1981, 1983, and 1990. 1993 and 2013 are the years that pop up everywhere, like consistently. Um, So when I like first learned about this book, I thought it was, you know, like some weird book that was published like a long time ago that they just happened to find. 
but no, this is pretty recent. And like the author is very much alive. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, because I had like, like you, I had vague memories of this from high school. Mm -hmm. And I always thought it was very, very old because of the images. And also it felt like it would like the mystery around it made me think it was also ancient. So it's kind of surprising. about this in high school? No, it just, it, like Sanja, just came up on my radar because oh, okay. of YouTube rabbit holes. Clearly, <laughs> I do not watch enough YouTube. So. The entity you does are, not yeah. watch enough YouTube. I was going to say, you are the entity. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I'm really surprised to hear it was published so recent, 1981, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so when I was researching, I was like, oh, this was published in the 80s. I'm like, kind of not surprised, but also very surprised yeah me too yeah and like you would think because of like how strange the book is you like the author is like reclusive but no he's pretty vocal about his book you'll which you'll see later uh since it came out it has been a favorite collector's item and from what i can tell this book has been talked about on the internet since the early days i think aside from the art and overall weirdness that it that's contained in the book the thing that makes it as relevant as it is like right now is how its first few reprints always had a limited number of prints so it was never like continuously printed it was always like only 4,000 released or only like a specific number and whoever gets it gets it and whoever didn't too bad so I feel like that just kind of made it really grow with its infamy and being considered kind of like a rare collector's item which is why during a 2003 2013 reprint it had sold out with 3000 uh, pre-orders some of the earlier reprints can be found online but the prices for those range from $350 to 5000 also since the latest reprint of the book has an extra chapter of illustrations and an author's note at the end where there's some type of explanation as to why Arthur felt compelled to make this book or I guess a kind of reflection on his thoughts about the book. Regardless, in that author's note, he also writes about how White Cat is the actual author and he was just described by using automatic writing like the Surrealists. So, you know, just adds to like the strangeness of the book. Who is White Cat? Like a literal white cat. What? Yes. That's so strange. I feel like you're not very impressed by this book. What? No, I am. It's just this whole thing is weird. <laughs> I feel like you haven't gone to the most interesting part yet. So I'm I'm waiting for that. I like how it, like about this book you are, but very like contained. Oh, we're not about to fight about rocks. So <laughs> I can be calm. I, I want to circle back on this white cat situation so he's saying a white cat wrote this or gave him the ideas and he's just the writer okay so only two articles talked about like i guess this part one went in a little bit more detail and the other one just kind of like had him mention this like this came out of his mouth so and I'm going to go over it, like, later on. But basically, he, like, um, 
worked on this book for a few years and the way he did it was that he just like pulled himself up in his apartment or I guess studio and what he did was that he just had like a cat with his white cat as like company and that's where like the first article ends it like oh I just had like this cat as company and he's the actual author I was just described but then in another article or another website they go into a more detail saying that somehow this cat like psych or not psychologically telepathically communicated its thoughts to him and he just like was described using automatic writing i'm sorry are we all high or something <laughs> okay it's funny what? you should mention that because the talk of drug is involved later on okay good because uh what the heck is going on <laughs> are you like this man's actually kind of insane yeah a little bit <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and the images like we're looking at the images but the audience might not know but these are strange pictures they're like very eye grabbing but they are weird af but i mean the fact that you did mention that the cat <laughs> told him to write these things or like make this book the way it is Clear. I was gonna say this before too, and you said it was published first published in the eighties. So I don't know. Clearly, there was some drug use involved in all of this. So uh, I want to hear more about it. Well, keep in mind, like the eighties came right after like the sixties and seventies, where like psychedelics were heavily used. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that has to do something with it too. Yeah, and then. Oh god, I can't remember the name of the show, but it it aired very recently, or I guess it, it's been a couple of years. Yeah, because twenty eighteen, <laughs> three years since twenty eighteen, but it was a show on Sci Fi, um, Deadly Classy or Deadly Class, and it had like uh, Lana Condor who was also in to all the boys I met before, like that series, and there were a bunch of other like kind of famous people in that. But that whole series is based off of a comic book series that's and it's set in the 80s and they talked about like a whole bunch of drug use in it too and I mean they're high school kids but like I don't know the way some of the things were shown in the series or at least in pictures of the comic book I saw um, there was definitely yeah that, I think that's where I learned that like the 80s were also full of a lot of drugs. I guess it didn't click that the 70s and 60s with all the psychedelics came right before, but yeah. Which I should have known because I lived through all of that, you know, but. <laughs> you were too preoccupied with other stuff. During that. Yeah, with, with diamonds and stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly. Casual. <laughs> Just girly things. <laughs> A bunch of girly talk last week and this week. First diamond cutting and now psychedelics. Ooh, late night talk, sleepover talk. Clearly we're, yeah, clearly (laughs) we're, this is why we have the explicit rating. Nope, nope. Uh, We are a hoot at sleepovers, you guys. (laughs) Between this and staying up to play, like, video games like Mario Party or Mario Kart or whatever. Yeah, we're so badass. (laughs) Yeah, we're complicated. 
sophisticated and layered individuals. Yeah. As Shrek said, humans are like onions. Yeah. We come in layers. <laughs> well, it seems like the codex is pretty onion-like, so I'm excited to dig in deeper on the other layers. Okay, so this book's author is artist Luigi Serafini, an Italian artist, architect, and industrial designer. He also works with some sculpture. So, you know, he's, he's got some skills. So I guess he's not like super hippie. Contrary to what many fans of this book believe, he is very much a real person and, is, and that's his real name, not some like pseudonym. Uh, this is important because he's, him being alive is still important because there are a bunch of articles and videos of him expressing what he thinks about his work. And uh, he gives an answer to what does it all mean, which I'll get to later on. So I thought that was neat, as we talked about earlier, that he's still very much alive. And aside from that, is very vocal about like his thoughts. And, you know, as we learn, that's kind of rare in like uh, certain pieces that kind of stay in like the collective conscious. Yeah, I, I was going to say, we finally get some resolution on, uh, on a art piece, at least. <laughs> yes. Anyways, this book has its own numerical system and is written in an unknown language that's made up by the author that he spent two years developing. While the book does have a type of Rosetta wait, wait, Stone... Wait, wait. That I... He made up his own language? This reminds me of our friend... Um, I don't know if I should say her name. <laughs> but Give her a pseudonym. Christy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, you know who you are. Yeah, she made up her own language. I think it was high. Was it high school? Manchi, I don't know if you remember. I don't remember her making her own language. Of, I do remember she learned Elvish, like the Tolkien Elvish that Tolkien himself made up. So. I thought, wait, are we talking about the same person? <laughs> yes. Christy Cream. Christy Cream. <laughs> But yeah, our friend Christy, <laughs> if she listens, uh, maybe we should tell her to listen. <laughs> Give her if a shout listens, out. Be like, hey, our latest episode, you make a little cameo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because she did make up her own language. I think it was, might have been ninth grade. I don't know. All the years are starting to blend together and we're not even that old. It's kind of scary. Well... Me and Manchi aren't that old, but you're ancient. Yeah, the entity has been around since forever. Okay, but like, <laughs> not jokingly, I'm the youngest, so this should not be happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. All right, so Christy made up her own language, and I'm looking at the language in the codex, and it just looks like loops. Loops. Yeah, it's very loopy. And there's got, and it's got like little. The man was high when he made it up. He was loopy. <laughs> loopy. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Sahanya. You should tell You're us more about fine. the codex. You're fine. So while it does, like the book itself does have a Rosetta Stone that explains how to translate it, but it's made up of hieroglyphics. So not even the Rosetta Stone is like crackable. That's really funny. Yeah, it's like, I'm kind of like, dude, why do you even include that? Like, yeah. 
he made up all this lore that's indecipherable for the entire world. The only person who understands it is himself. Yeah, people literally like dedicate so much time to trying to crack this. Jeez. And I, it's kind of like, I don't know, kind of like, dude, you shouldn't have like egged these people on because you'll see his attitude towards his book really is. Uh, anyway, despite how many pages this book has, it's only divided up into 11 chapters and in two sections. The first section describes the imaginary world's natural uh, flora and fauna and physics. The second section goes over aspects of human life, like garments, history, cuisine, and architecture. So here what each chapter goes over. Chapter one, the types of flora, which are strange flowers, trees that uproot themselves and migrate. Two, fauna, which is animals, including surreal variations of horses, hippopotamus, rhinoceros, and birds. So as you like look at these illustrations, you kind of get the feeling that sometimes it's like super, uh, the super fantastical and surrealist world, but sometimes you can see how it's kind of rooted in our world, like our reality. So it's very much kind of like a mix of both. Um, three, uh, an apparently separate kingdom of odd bipedal creatures. Four, physics and chemistry. And it, this chapter is apparently considered the most abstract and enigmatic of them all. Five is bizarre machines and vehicles. Six, the humanities, which means biology, sexuality, uh, I guess like specific groups of people. Uh, in an article, it's described as like Aboriginal peoples, but I think they just mean like, you know, like ethnicities. Uh, including some exa examples with plant life and tools. So like pens, wrenches, uh, gafted onto the human body. Uh, so in this chapter, chapter six is where the famous, like whenever you Google this book or whenever you see videos about this book being talked about, one of the famous like illustrations that always pops up is of a couple procreating and turning into a crocodile, which is in my, the folder of image dumps. Yeah, I saw that image. It's a... Uh, it's something. It's something. It looks like somebody's kink, to be honest. <laughs> well, there are, like, you know how there are furries? There are, like, there's, like, a subsection of them that, like, reptiles called scalies. So maybe this is where it all started. Oh, my God. <laughs> You'll seem horrified. It's a little but strange, anyway. but I don't, I don't want to judge. Okay. So, so we're leave that at that. Yes. So another side note of the same chapter. Apparently, there are also two plates uh, containing lines of French te text, a quote from Marcel uh, Proust's In Search of a Lost Time, Albertine Gone. The words scattered on the floor of the illustration are from the same book, which is a seven-volume novel uh, that covers things about involuntary memory. So again, it's kind of like rooted in this world. Seven, chapter seven is history, as in people, uh, some only vaguely human, of unknown significance with uh, their times of birth and death, scenes of historical and possibly religious significance, burial and funeral customs. Chapter eight, the codex, it's the codex's writing system, including punctuation marks, the text written and experiments performed upon the text 
Chapter 9 is food, dining practices, garments. Chapter 10 is games, uh, including card games, board games, and athletic sports. Chapter 11 is architecture. Uh, and after this last chapter is a table of content, contents for the, or like an index, followed by an apparent afterwards who that is written in this like casually rendered. So I don't know, I guess it's maybe like an author's note, but again, it's like in this language that nobody can decipher. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, do you think that maybe he didn't want the book to be found or like understood? Um, we will get into that in a little bit. Ooh. Any thoughts, Manchi? Yeah, I will say the more I look at these pages, because I've been flipping through an online version of the codex the more I flip through it the more I'm intrigued like I want to know what he was thinking what is this world you know what does this all mean because it feels like there's a story there and I want to know what the story is okay all right all right I'm glad some of your opinion has been swayed so now that you know what the book's about and you've seen some of those illustrations, and I'm assuming our listeners just Googled it. You see people have described it as surreal, grotesque, intriguing, and beautiful, correct? Yes, for sure. And you see why this book has the allure that it does, right? Yeah, definitely. Bartika? I'm intrigued. Yes, sorry. Just taking a Affirmative. sip of water. Blip, <laughs> <laughs> blip. She got hella thirsty for this book. Well, okay, that sounds that. a little weird. She saw that uh, <laughs> crocodile <laughs> couple illustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So you know, I'm surprised as the entity, I've seen so many strange and weird things over the years. Yet every time on this podcast, I, I'm <laughs> amazed by what else <laughs> we can find. That amazed sounds so tired. Like, can we just talk about finger paints for once? Something wholesome. Let's go back to rocks. <laughs> okay. So here's the public's, like, reaction of this book. Or, I guess, perception. So many are determined that the book has some type of meaning, despite what the author has said. Its numerical system has been cracked, and it was discovered that its base is 21. A woman claims she was transported to the book's world through a dream, apparently before she even knew about it. There's even a Wibbly page someone made where they go in like into bits of details and explains things about the book. It's not super like detailed detailed, but you know, I feel like it went the extra mile if you really want to like know about the this book but don't really want to like spend the money to acquire it and uh they actually made a recent update in that weebly saying like hey i don't really have time to like maintain this website and like really develop it to how i want it but i'm gonna keep it up anyway so people can like look at it and i was like oh that's that was a nice gesture and lastly there's a man that claims he has cracked the translation for it and sells the translation key online so there's a like the guy who made it is already loopy. <laughs> um, and like everyone else associated with the book is also kind of loopy. So maybe just don't come into contact with the book. 
Wait, also, um, people, people can buy the book or like prints of it, right? I'm just wanting to make sure. Uh, if like you clarify. want like older versions, you can purchase those, but they'll be a lot pricier. Uh huh. Recently, you can buy the 2013 version. Mm. It's actually on Amazon for like 125 dollars. Okay, well, so I'm, it's, it's, yeah. it's read- readily available now, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people seem to like, like the older editions. I think mostly because they were uh, kind of like the paper and the, and the, like, the cover were more like artistically rendered. Mm-hmm. But the 2013 version, from what I can tell, is like giant compared to the, and not only giant as in like pages, I mean giant as in like literal size, like height and width. Oh, okay. Well, now our listeners yeah, so know if they're its looking own to, flavor. yeah, <laughs> I'm personally not looking to buy it, but if any of our I listeners want to buy it. Are, I don't want you to I'll be just have like our go loopy or anything. <laughs> I'll just have like our school, our university's library order it for me. Oh, I I mean yeah, we could do that. And then just okay. go, take a look at it. Put in an order right yeah, now. Yeah, every once in a while. <laughs> okay. What if they like reject it? They're like, what is this? <laughs> I mean I'll be like, maybe. listen to my podcast. I explain everything. <laughs> Yeah, or um, I forget what it's called, but like there's an interlibrary exchange. So there's probably some library nearby or somewhere that has it. What if they already like, yeah, I was going to say, what if like they already have a copy? <laughs> I kind of want to go look for it now after after we record. Um, okay, but. <laughs> but anyways, what else happened with this? Okay. Now, while I couldn't necessarily find one single thing that, like, inspired him to make this book or, like, compelled him, here are the author's thoughts on his work, which I found in an interview uh, Sutterfeen did with the website Wired. So, when it comes to what does his work mean, he has three types of responses, or I guess outlooks on it. One is that it doesn't matter much to him since people... um, are going crazy for it all due to an obsession related to the persistent fascination with mystery. So I think what he's saying here is that because he made it in this language that people can't like just read, that that's what like gets to them. Like they're like, I just have to know. Uh, two, at the end of the day, the codex is similar to uh, Rorschach inkblot test. So you see what you want to see. You might think it's speaking to you, but it's just your imagination. He's very blunt with what he thinks, as you can tell. And three, and I think this was the most like kind of poetic because, you know, I'm a reader and I remember when I was first learning how to like read and stuff and I would do this. And I think this was, this was kind of like nice of him to kind of like think about his book. So, and this is his words, okay? Number three, his response slash his outlook. What I want my alphabet to convey to the reader is the sensation that children feel in front of books when they cannot yet understand. 
so you know like in that time when you're learning how to read I feel like books are like kind of special like this new thing to you because you don't really understand fully what's being said but so you're just looking at the pictures and in your own and it's kind of like a game like you try to decipher what's going on like I personally really like looking at like encyclopedias and just looking at the pictures or like little nature books and stuff yeah that's interesting I feel like you could kind of replicate that if you're looking at a foreign language book anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you really wanted to, you could find translations to it. Yeah, that's true. Versus this, that it's forever that feeling. Yeah, that's something unknown. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, it kind of bothers me. I don't know what it's about. Okay, it goes back to point number one. Uh, it's an obsession related to the persistent fascination with mystery. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm fascinated with mystery or more like I don't know. I don't like not knowing. I feel like that's what he means. Not so much like a fascination. Like, oh, I just, I love this. But more like, I just have to know. Like that feeling of like, you just need to know. I just want to know, like, what is this man trying to hide? I like how you're so suspicious of him. I mean, you have to be. This is... You have to be. You're right. Never trust no man. Never trust anyone. But also, as as I've been saying this entire time, (laughs) he was loopy when he wrote this, right? So maybe it is just nonsense and there's no actual, (laughs) like, meaning behind it. Also, um, I looked it up. Okay, so well, he's very kind of passive about the meaning of the book and I guess kind of what it means to people. He's very enthusiastic and serious as to the reason behind why he made the book, which as he explains that the book was a type of prologue. I feel like you might have liked that little tidbit uh, because at the time he was trying to reach out to his fellow people, just like bloggers do. There's a connection between Codex Seraphinius and this and digital culture. I was somehow anticipating the net by sharing my work with as many people as possible. I wanted the codex to be published as a book because I want to step out of the close circle of art galleries. So I feel like he didn't want his book to just be in like the inner circles of like the art world. He really wanted to like have it spread, Uh, which I find a little contradictory since he didn't just continuously let this book be published it was always like a limited number of release but I guess it would have been it's I guess since he's still in a way kind of like from what I can tell kind of has like that traditional artist feel to him I guess it was better for him to do that than just make a single codex and just have it in art galleries you know okay so a lot of people consider this book kind of trippy and when asked if he did drugs during this time, uh, during the time during the time he took to make it to make this book, this is what he had to say. He used mescaline, uh, which is a drug that was used to expand the boundaries of your mind. At the time in the U.S., Native Americans were allowed to use it for religious purposes, but that didn't help him in the creative process, since. Under the influence of mescaline, you lose any sense of criticism. You think you're creating a masterpiece, but when you get sober, you realize it's very modest. To produce a body of creative work is a practice based on small details, like word puns. You have to be focused and there are no shortcuts. So 
did he take drugs while making this? Yes, definitely. But I feel like he didn't stay on them throughout the whole time. I feel like he's saying that, like, yeah, these drugs, like, made me feel something, but it didn't really make me, like, make what I wanted. So I feel like at some point he just stayed off them. So this is kind of, like, 100% him in a way. The way you said it, he just wanted to feel something. (laughs) Well, I feel, okay, okay. Let's think of, like, the context, right? This is the 80s, right after the 60s, 70s, that psychedelics are heavily being used. And people that take psychedelics always describe how they have this out-of-body experience. They just have this revelation. So I feel like he took this drug trying to achieve that to make some, like, revelation. And at the time that he was under the influence, that's how he felt. But then when he sobered up and saw the results, he's like, oh, this is not as great as I thought. So I'm just going to stay sober and just really put effort into my book. Just keep on going with it. I've already started the process. Yeah, he's all like, you can't take shortcuts. I was going to say earlier, I did look it up and it's it's available in the big, in the library of the big university in our state. The one where my sister is going now. So... <laughs> um yeah if we do want to go check it out (laughs) okay that road trip let's go right now no i'm just kidding (laughs) right now we could make it a live stream that's what (laughs) i was thinking we'll go page by page (laughs) okay (laughs) okay oh give it i'm not good at coming up with titles but like deep dive into the Codex Seraphinus Seraphinus with our drama llama. (laughs) Indeed. In search of the Codex Seraphinus. Manchi, any thoughts knowing that some drug use was used in the making of this book? I'm not surprised. Like, how else are you going to get something like this, in my opinion? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. We have a friend. uh, Not Christy. Uh, I'm going to say Custard, (laughs) who, you know, makes some interesting drawings sometimes. And from what I can tell, they are very sober due to how um, strongly they incline religiously. That's also true. Wait, uh, we're talking about Custard now? (laughs) Custard, yes. All right. (laughs) Custard, if you're listening. <laughs> yes, and when you ask her, why did you draw that? She responds with, it just came to me. In a dream. <laughs> no, she just says it just came to me. Or sometimes she just she does have like legitimate explanations, but for the most part, it just she just felt like it. I will say that's like, just like but she kind of does one-off stuff, right? Like, to make a whole 300-page book over, like, nonsensical things, really, in my opinion. I feel like she has the power to make a book about nonsensical things. Even though she does have, she does, she does do one-off stuff. But I feel like if you collect it all, in a way, it'll be her own, like, art book of nonsensical things. <laughs> I, really, I really admire people who can do this, because... 
I sure don't have the creativity to make something like this. Maybe you need some mescaline. <laughs> Maybe I do. <laughs> Why you like buzz cut your hair after that? Get piercings. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Tattoos. <laughs> I'll just become another alter ego of myself. I'm scared. Let's keep you away from mescaline. <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to see that. Yeah, let's let's stick to having Manchi being obsessed with fire. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. That's where we draw the line. Pyromania. <laughs> okay, that's oh, as God. crazy as we're going to let it get. Yeah. Anyway, so while this encyclopedia took him three to four years to complete and might have taken longer if it weren't for his editor running out of patience, I feel like he came close to accomplishing what he set out to do, which was transport onlookers into a fresh new world where their imaginations can let loose due to them being presented something they don't fully understand, but still being able to relay some type of communication and information. Because like, well, well, while you don't understand really what's going on, you understand something's being told to you, like you're gathering some type of information. Yeah, and, I think and you, that's pretty and you- neat. Yeah, and you can't really stop yourself from creating more stories, right? It's kind of like fanfic, you know? People are just out there creating fanfic about the Codex Seraphinus, to be honest. They're creating fanfic. Yeah, or sort of. It's kind of, in my mind, it's sort of parallel in that after you finish a piece of content, you just want to know more about the world, right? Or you want to see the characters explore something more about themselves or a relationship. So you have fanfic, but in this case, it's like everything about the codex is unknown. So people just want to know and expand on this world. And you have the blog that tries to do a deep dive. In my opinion, that's sort of like fanfic. Okay. Ratika? <laughs> Wait, I just like zoned out for a second and wow. I come back to Manchi talking about fanfic. <laughs> So I said that it's interesting that he kind of ended up doing what he set out to do, which is taking people into like this fresh imaginary world. Yeah. Where like your imagination can kind of let loose because you're being presented something. Yeah. Like you're being communicated something and being Mm -hmm. informed about something. You just don't really know what it is. And then she said, yeah, that's cool. It's like fanfic. (laughs) See, you described it so like, well, and then Manchi's like, oh, fanfic. I'm telling what you, you she's built different. She's built different. What do you mean? Fanfic is, like, legitimate. I see people don't agree. No, like, I agree. I just don't understand how you make those two connections. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I would say it's, like, fandom where people go off and make their own things but not fan fiction okay. because with fan fiction you explore a specific facet or like a specific character or a specific yeah. dynamic okay and yeah here you can't really do that since like you, you don't really know what's being told yeah no you're right fandom is probably a better word for it yeah unless you want to make little fanfics of that crocodile couple <laughs> no i think i'm all right <laughs> oh my god okay some lemons yeah i'm all right (laughs) okay so back to you martika thoughts i think he probably 
I don't know. The fact that he continued on with this, like, after not being loopy, he probably did have something that he wanted to really share, but I just don't understand then why he put it into a different language, you know? Like, what is he trying to explore? Well, I feel like his main goal was for you to, like, look at the illustrations and not so much the text. Like, just sit back and, like, look at something. But, like, the illustrations are also so interesting. Well, they do its job. They they captivate your attention, don't they? True. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, and I feel like if you could read the text, you would analyze the text, not what you're looking at. Mm. So, do you think he might have had, like, a deeper meow? my god i'm combining words meaning and beyond beyond (laughs) beyond (laughs) deeper meaning beyond like what we just see no i I really don't i really think he just wanted to make an encyclopedia and he wanted the art to be appreciated and he committed to the bit by making this whole ass language and organizing it like an encyclopedia and I think that's refreshing where I can just get a book to look at and said, I don't really have to digest anything. But I feel like you're digesting everything. Yet nothing at the same time because you don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're digesting, you know? Yeah, but I can't help but look at the images and the words and try to figure out something about it. You're falling under his first trap, bro. I am. I am. And just remember, he does not care. <sighs> That's he's the like, worst. Yeah, I like how he stands by. He's like, it, there's no meaning. This is just for, like, fun. That's it. I'm not going to engage with any debate. Like, I thought, this is it. Goodbye. I thought we were going to get resolution, but I see that we actually went the opposite end and did not get resolution at all. I feel like it was all right. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's worst to not know what the book is but how the artist not be here or how the artist be here and him refusing to explain what the book is i don't know what is more infuriating to me <laughs> he literally said i want my alphabet to convey to the reader is the sensation that children feel in front of books they cannot yet understand yeah i get it but like what do I the get pictures it, but I don't. mean what is this world he's creating I just want to know more. Like I want the way more you said it. Building. I get it, but I don't. <laughs> Man, she. Well, it's like a Rorschach just here to argue. You see what you want to see, so it means whatever you want it to mean, Manchi. But I don't know what I want it to mean. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Fine. We have to take this road trip, and maybe when you like see it in person, you'll like <laughs> be able to like find closure. I just want an explanation for the images. Like, I just want him to tell me, like, even if it's just like, oh, this is like a fake-ass fish that I made for this world because I thought it was cool. Oh, isn't that kind of what he did for those, like, fishes that look like the eyes? That's what I was thinking. I mean, I'm sure that's what that is, but it's like, he has a whole freaking section on, like, on history and these people that he's created and has, like, little subtitles below them. And he, if he has a translation for all of his text, then he knows what he's written and he's clearly put some thought, right? So I just want to know, like, who is this person that you are, that you've put into your codex? What is their backstory? 
if there is not one, like, I'm sure there's, like, some sort of inspiration. For, I don't know. I just want to know how, I think I just more so want to know how the book came about, because I think that will shed some light on what the content means and what, you know, it represents. Well, we got to find this white cat. <laughs> the white cat will reveal all. Yeah, because he's the true author. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But also, cats only live about 20 years, so this cat's dead. <laughs> So in some ways, the true author is dead. Yes. All right. Fair enough. And then maybe we just need to take some, uh, you know. Mescaline. Yeah. Also, I own a cat now, and I'm kind of like, is this what's in her mind? (laughs) I'm sure it is not. (laughs) She's literally just laying in my bed, curled up. And I'm just like, what universe are you on, girl? Maybe that's the definition of the book it's how the cat sees our world oh you know i like that I like yeah that. okay good i i feel like we i finally got my resolution <laughs> okay it's kind of like courage the cowardly dog like yeah it's it, like there's a theory saying that it's through his imagination yeah. or through his perception of things yeah there you go all right we all feeling resoluted <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Then let's give our listeners a resolution for this episode. All right. Well, if you guys have any stories you would like for us to cover, you can email us at ourdramalama at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and most importantly, Patreon at ourdramalama. And lastly, thank you for joining us. And we hope we can look continue to look beyond the galleries with y'all next time. Bye, llamas. Later, Amos.